Hello, everybody. Can y'all hear me? Is it on? It's on, right? Oh, okay. What's up? It's so good to be up here, man. It's so good to be here. Yo, we are in week seven of the Ten Commandments. We almost done with this thing. Can you believe that? It went by really, really fast. Um, looking forward to getting into our text this morning. This morning, we're talking about thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now it's time for the benediction, right? Like, like it's pretty, pretty doggone clear, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. No, it's, it's, it's a little bit more to it, and we're going to dive into it. But before we get into it, let's, let's, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much. We're just eternally grateful for your word, for your law, for your morality, for your character that is expressed through your law, God. God, you so want to teach us how to live. And God, we pray that as we dive into this seventh commandment, as we continue to sort of um, grapple with, and as we continue to reflect on all of these commandments, that we truly, truly, truly commit ourselves to living the way you have called us to live, the way you want us to live, so that we could truly and ultimately be free. So, God, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Thou shall not commit adultery. So it's worth emphasizing from the onset that God takes marriage and the marriage covenant extremely seriously. Right? He takes it very, very seriously. He says in Genesis that when when, when two people become married, the two shall become one. You are the bones of my bones, says Adam, and you are the flesh of my flesh. That word picture alone already distinguishes ourselves in in, in God's view of marriage and sex from the world, right? It's a radically different notion of what it means to to be married. Marriage is not about, it's not transactional, right? It's not a business contract. No, it's a covenant between two people before there and our God. And God enters into that covenant with them. He blesses it. He blesses it. He, 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 he redeems it. He restores it. And he says, go and love each other sacrificially, just like I and my son love the church. Right? Mary, one, of, one of the main aspects of marriage is that it bears witness to the particular ways in which God loves his people. Right. It bears witness to the multiple ways in which God sacrifices himself. God redeems. God forgives. He says, I want you to model that love through the specific institution of marriage. Right. And, And this seventh commandment is important because when we commit adultery, we're dismantling something that God has joined. Right. We're dismantling something that God has ordained. And God sees fit to specifically say, do not commit adultery. Do not cheat on your spouse. Because when you do this, you not only dishonor me, but you dishonor your spouse. Right? And it's something that, something that he, he, he's very serious about. It's interesting, too, because when you look at sort of the second half of the Ten Commandments, Right? It starts off with these three prohibitions. We have do not murder, 
do not commit adultery, and do not steal. This is fascinating to me because what we see here is God is in many ways laying the groundwork for what it looks like to live and function as a just society. And it makes sense to me that he would say don't murder and don't steal, you know, like don't, don't, don't kill one another and don't take each other's things. That makes sense, and that, 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 that seems to be just. But in the middle of those two commandments, he says, do not commit adultery. That's fascinating. And, 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 and what, what that communicates to us is when we do not honor the marriage contract, it leads to dysfunction and disorder in a society and also in a community. So it's not just murder. It's not just theft. But the breakdown of the family unit also leads to dysfunction, also leads to disorder, right? Tony Evans, a pastor out of Dallas, Texas, he puts it this way. He says that it's useful to think of, in this analogy, sex as like fire, right? With marriage being the, the, the boundary representing sort of the fireplace, right? And he says that when sex goes beyond its boundaries, it threatens to burn the whole house down. And what we see in the world is houses burning down, right? Because they're dishonoring and they're using something that God ordained to be good in their own way, to, to satisfy themselves. And that leads to a breakdown in human relationships. It leads to a breakdown in how we treat one another. And it leads to a breakdown of family units, right? It leads to dysfunction. It leads to disorder. And God, and we've been talking about this throughout the entire series. When we think of this word freedom, right? Freedom, as much as we want it to be about us and what we want to do, freedom is not meant for us to do whatever we want to do. Freedom is meant for us to submit ourselves to God by our own volition. Right? Freedom is meant for us to say, Lord, this is your life. You created it in your image. You know what's best for me. So therefore, I give back to you what you have given to me. Right? And that is how we live a flourishing life. That is how we live a purpose-driven life when we realize that we are not cut out to be the creator of our own destiny. We are not cut out to be the, the sustainer of our own lives, right? That's God's job. And, and, and freedom without boundaries leads to our ultimate destruction, right? And that's why this law is important. And a part of this flourishing, a part of, 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 of this life fulfilled, this, this purpose fulfilled driven life is the act of sex. It's, it's not meant to be an exclusion. It's, it's actually meant to be a beautiful inclusion, right? Timothy Keller, you know the archbishop of this church. I feel like every single time I preach a sermon, I have to send it to somebody and they say, you know what, it's pretty good content, but sprinkle some Keller in there and then take it to the next level, right? Timothy Keller says, he, he has this beautiful way of describing what sex is supposed to be. He says that sex is the most powerful God-created way that helps us give ourselves to another human 
being. Sex is God's appointed way for two people to reciprocally say to each other that I am exclusively, permanently, and completely yours. And when sex is used to say anything other than this, it's a distortion. It's not doing what God meant for it to do. Right? Let me say that one more time. Sex is, is, is God's appointed way, right, for two people to say to each other that I am exclusively, permanently, and completely yours. It's God's most powerful way that helps us give ourselves to another human being. Right? And when it's used to do anything less than this, it is a distortion. Right? And when we think about this, right, sex, it involves very strong feelings. It is mutual and self-giving. It involves strong, it involves intense pleasure, and it's also for the procreation of new life. And God says that I intend for this specific act to be used in the context of marriage between two people, a covenant that brings two in to one. And when this happens, when two people come into covenant with one another, God grants us the permission to, to, to express our sexuality toward one another. In this beautiful and, and, and redeemed and, and, and God-ordained way, right? This is what it's meant for. And, 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 and when it's used for anything less than this, it is a distortion. It's not what God called and designed it to be for, right? And this is not meant to shame anyone. We all have complicated lives and histories. There is forgiveness. There is redemption for all. This is meant to just give us a framework of what God designed sex for. And it's obviously important to talk about this because we're talking about adultery. <laughs> it's obviously important to talk about it, right? I want to move now to what causes this, right? If sex was designed to be this beautiful thing, very compelling, right, very sensical, why do we use it in distorted ways? Enter the conversation Jesus declares. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, put it up, Mike. This is what Jesus has to say. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Huh. What you saying, Jesus? So last week, I think Pastor Scott gave a beautiful illustration, right, of, 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 of the law of God representing the boundaries. And he used the image of a basketball court. I love basketball, so I love, I love that he used this. He used the image of a basketball court. And the law is that boundary, right? And we're not supposed to cross that boundary. Jesus is not saying we should get rid of that boundary. Jesus is saying that the, Jesus is saying that the law was not meant to be exhaustive in, in, in relaying how we should live as children of God. So the boundary still needs to be in place. But Jesus is saying, you know, there's a game to be played. And I've come to teach you how to play the game. 
I come to teach you how to live as a human being. See, life is not just about avoiding the boundary. There's so much life to live as a part of my father's will and watch me. And when you watch me, I'm going to teach you how to play the game, right? And, 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 and a part of the game, when it comes to this specific rule that, 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 that can take us outside the boundary of adultery, Jesus says that at the root of adultery is lust. And I love this because this speaks to not only those of us who are married, but it speaks to all of us because lust can happen with anyone, Right? Lust can, 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 can sort of, can, can, can be, can, can, we, we all can practice lust no matter where we are in our lives. And when we think about lust, it's important because last week Scott talked about how the sixth commandment was prohibited because when we commit murder, we view someone who is an image bearer as expendable, right? Their life is expendable, and since their life is expendable, it doesn't matter if I take it away. That's how we view, that's how we view someone. So if the seventh word prohibits take, the taking of life, as, that prohibits, prohibits us from doing murder because we view life as expendable, the seventh word says that we, that says that we view life as consumable, right? It's saying that you view someone only as the object of your desire only as the object of your gratification. So therefore, life is not expendable to you, but it's consumable to you, right? And, and, and this is important because, again, getting back to justice and what it means to live in a just society, when, we, when, we're, when we're talking about how we treat our fellow neighbor, it should always be with the intent of honoring their human dignity and honoring their entire self that God created. Not just one aspect of them, right? So, and not, not just their physical appearance, but we have to honor all of it, right? All of who they are. And lust reduces people to objects of our own desire, right? Of our own satisfaction, of our own gratification. And that is not what God intends. That is not how he wants us to be in relationship with, with one another, right? We view other people as consumable. This is important because we don't consume people that we love. We cherish them. We love them. We honor them, right? We, 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 don't, we don't consume people that we claim to love. Right? We affirm them in their human dignity. We try to restore their human dignity if the world has taken it away. Right? The way we look at them has to be radically different than how the world looks at them. We have to see them in the entirety of who they are. And lust does not do that. It does not allow us to accomplish that. And Michael, if you can go back to it real quick, Matthew, Matthew 5, 27. I want you to look at what Jesus says. He says... Right? But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in her heart. It's interesting how Jesus focuses on the eyes. Everyone who looks. Right? So this is not me saying you're attractive. So this is not a casual glance that's saying, yo, girl, you fine. 
You know what I'm saying? No, this is a lingering look. This is a gaze. Like, I'm looking at you hard. And I'm looking at you in such a way that all I'm thinking about is how you can satisfy me. Right? And all I'm thinking about is, 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 how, is how I can gain satisfaction and pleasure by you. I'm reducing you to my own satisfaction. And that ain't it. That's not what God, call, God calls us to do. That's not how he calls us to look at one another. So it's not just me saying you're attractive. It's me obsessing over how you look. It's me obsessing over how you can make me feel based on your looks. And that is not what God, that is a distortion. And Jesus is saying that when we have these wandering and lingering eyes, it could lead to disordered desires. Because when we think about this, right, this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We remember this, right? Eve. So Eve sees that forbidden fruit. And she ain't just looking at the forbidden fruit. It's not a casual glance. She's staring. She said, Ooh, that look good. That, that's the reddest apple I ain't ever seen in my doggone life. Y'all see the way that, that apple looks scrumptious. Why would God not want me to enjoy something that's delicious? And, you know, and when we start asking those questions, the devil comes in and says, you know what? You got a point. Why would God not want you to enjoy that? You know why? It's because God don't want you to have fun. He don't want you to enjoy life. He don't want you to make your own decision. God wants to control you. You ought to do what you want to do, right? You see what happens when we linger? When we linger, we give the enemy an opportunity to enter into our mind and start feeding us lies. That's what we do. And that is why Jesus is saying don't lust, don't linger, don't gaze. Because you're opening yourself up to an attack of the enemy and you're weak. You know why you're weak? Because you're focusing on something that, sh- that you should not be focusing on. You're focusing on something that is off limits. You're focusing on something that God has told you with crystal clarity. Don't focus on that. Don't look at that. Because when you look for too long, you're going to desire it. When you look for too long, you're going to yearn for it. And when you yearn for something and you desire for something, I'm going to say, wait, when we yearn for something, when we desire something, we are willing to do anything within our power to get, to get what we want. Even if it comes at not only at our expense, but at someone else's expense. Right? Don't look. Don't, don't, don't linger. Don't gaze. Because it leads to disordered desires. Lust leads to disordered desires. And disordered desires leads to disordered lives. Right? Disordered desires leads to chaos, calamity, conflict, dysfunction. Our desires have to be rightly ordered by our Father in heaven. We have to desire what God wants us to desire. Not because he's a tyrant. Not because he wants, not because he's this unfair control freak. But because he knows what's best for us. 
because he's the creator of our soul and very lives. And because he knows what's best, he says, that ain't good for you, fam. Listen, I promise you, it's going to lead down a wrong path. Listen to me. Disordered desires leads to disordered lives. And when we think about this specific command of adultery, going back to something that Scott said last week, one of the things he said about the sixth commandment, which is do not murder, he says that anger and contempt creates the ecosystem and the conditions of the drive or the want to harm someone else. When I'm so angry and contemptuous towards someone else, I begin to almost dehumanize them. I begin to almost not see them as an image bearer, all they are is an object of my anger, right? And if, and if that's all I see them as, then that can drive me to, to do very disordered and dysfunctional things. Same here. When it comes to adultery, right, anger and contempt toward my spouse leads to, the, it creates the ecosystem and conditions for adultery. Right? If I'm so angry and contemptuous toward my spouse because I'm not keeping short account, because there is no healthy communication, you know what begins to happen? My eyes begin to linger. Now I'm looking at other places. So where can I get what I'm not getting from my spouse? This is kind of what happens when we don't communicate. And Scott last week gave us very sort of practical, when you do this, I, you know, was like, notice, he gave us like, notice and prefer when you do this. What is it? When you, I feel, there it is. When you, when you, I feel, and notice and prefer. I want to dig deeper into this a little bit, though, right? Because I think Jesus opens the door when he talks about lust, specifically doing with marriage and adultery. He opens the door for a, 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 a very honest conversation about when we are dissatisfied with our spouse and when we are angry at our spouse, what can that lead to? And I'm sure it might cross your minds. This single dude about to talk about marriage? Really, bro? Well, let me, let me, let me give you two things. I got this from my, from my homie Rachel Torres this week. The Bible ain't stingy, Right? The Bible does not have special revelation for married people and special revelation for single people. Whatever the Bible says about marriage, we all can receive it, no matter where we are in our lives. That's, that's, that's number one. And last time I checked, correct me if I'm wrong, the Savior who we commit our lives to, devote our lives to, the Savior who we worship was single. Was he, was he, was, correct me if I'm wrong. Did Jesus? Did he, did he have a wifey? Pastor Obed, did, was he married? Pastor Obed, let me know. El, elder approved, right? Let me know. He was single. Right? I wish y'all would pray to Jesus about your marriage. And Jesus gives you counsel. He say, well, you know, Jesus, you weren't married, so I ain't got to follow a thing. You say, I wish you would do that. Have you lost your minds? You better not do that. Jesus looking at you like, fam, I created the whole universe. Your little marriage, I got that. I got you. Right? So I just wanted to put that out there as, 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 as I go into talking about marriage. So here's the thing, right? Lust, the desire to lust, can stem from dissatisfaction with our spouse or anger 
or contempt for ourselves. Here it is. There are times in any relationship where we might fall out of compatibility, where we might not feel as compatible as we used to. We like, yo, what happened to us? I just remember when we first got married, there was so much life and passion and all this stuff. And now, what are we now? What is happening? Right? Like, who have you become? You're, you're nowhere near the person I thought you would be, or you're nothing like you used to be. Why are we here? Right? And see, these kind of feelings, if not checked, if not talked about, can lead to wandering eyes. Right? Because we have become dissatisfied with our spouse. And see, the harsh reality is this. Life is hard. Life, as we live it, we go through hardships, we go through lessons, we, we, we go through so many things that we evolve as people. So yes, I'm not who I was two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. You're not who you were, right? So we might not be those compatible people we were when we first got married, but we still have this covenant. We still have this covenant that we made before God and that God entered into with us. So even in this harsh season that we might be going through, a season of transition, a season of, 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 season of, just, season of just, just non-compatibility, if you will, even in this season, it's worth the declaration that you are my person. You are my wife. You are my husband. I love you. I cherish you. I like you. And see, here's the thing. It's a choice, right? I might not feel like liking you. I might not feel like loving you. Right now, oh my God. But see, I, <laughs> but see, I have to make the choice now because I entered into a covenant with you. And see, do not feel bad that you have to make that choice. Because like I said, life is hard, right? And see, if we only married everybody we were compatible with, we all be married 15 times, right? Oh, I ain't compatible with you now? Oh, let me go marry somebody I'm compatible with now. Oh, we ain't compatible no more, fam. Let me go marry somebody else. And it just keeps going, keeps going. That is not God's plan for you. It's not God's plan for you. It's not about compatibility. It's about covenant. I choose to love you. I choose to like you. I choose to be with you because you're my wife. You're my husband. You're my spouse. Let me tell you something. God has been locked probably in the worst marriage in human history. Right? Do you think that God don't get fed up with us? Do you think that God don't get frustrated with people who rebel against him, with people who commit adultery on him all the time, with people who don't trust him after he's provided over and over and over. You still questioning me? But yet God chooses to love us every single day. And the same way God does that, he calls you and I to do that in marriage. 
Marriage at times is sometimes when two people come together and say, hey, man, it's me and you. It's us. And if we both show up, do the work that is required, God will honor that. Scott introduced those two phrases last week. Another thing that we do here, emotionally healthy, is something called begin again. Right? There comes a time when you fall out of step, when, 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 when things aren't like they used to be, and you find, you find yourself confused and wondering where do we go from here, a necessary step in any marriage is to begin again. We're not where we used to be. We're not who we used to be. That doesn't mean that we're not, that doesn't mean that we're not called to be with each other. That doesn't mean that we should get a divorce. It means that we now have to take different steps, create new rhythms, new checkpoints, new communication styles, so that we can be on the same page. And when we commit ourselves to that, God grants us wisdom to, do, to, 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 to be able to navigate any season or transitional phase in our lives. God will give you the wisdom. God will give you the forethought to do what needs to be done so that you can be on the same page. But it starts with your commitment. It starts with you saying, I might not feel it, but it's you. It's you, girl. You mine. I committed to this. And not only did I commit to you, I, co I committed myself to God. I made a promise to God that you're my person. I made that promise to God. And because I love, honor, and believe in God so much, I will continue to show up as long as, you're continue, as long as you will continue to show up. And if we both continue to show up and allow God to meet us where we are, God will honor that. And he will lead us on a journey that will rekindle the fire. Right? God can do this if we give him, if, 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 if we commit ourselves to that covenant. Right? And in all honesty, this, this, this message really convicted me as a single dude. Because when we think about, right, how we view one another, specifically along the lines of attraction, sexual, sex, 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 and, and, and sexual attraction, all that kind of stuff, it really puts in to focus how even when you're pursuing someone, even when you like somebody, don't reduce them to just how they look, right? And I wanted to say something to the sisters here, right? Dudes ain't the only one that be lusting. Can I just say that? Y'all be, be lusting too. See, see y'all don't, don't it, 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 it's not a male-female thing. It's a sin thing, right? We all sinners. And y'all know if a fine dude come up in here, girl, did you see who was in church today? Did you see what he looked like? And then we go on the tailspin, right? But see, God challenges you and I as singles to say, yo, I like the way you look, but I want to honor all that you are. There is so much more to you than how you look. And how dare I, as an image bearer, 
reduce you to just your looks as an image bearer. There's so much more to you, right? And I feel like we have to remember that, right? We have to look at people and say, how can I honor your dignity? How can I honor your, 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 your image bearingness? How can I see you the way God sees you? How can I love you the way God loves you? That has to be our intent. You look good, girl, but I want to love you for real, for real. Not in some surface level way, just about looks, but I want to love you for real. I want to love you in, in, in such a deep and spiritual way that you feel honored, that you, that you feel affirmed by being around me. That has to be the goal. For both of us, right? And I think for, 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 for the married folks here, right, it, it takes intentionality in many, many ways to pray to God, Lord, how are you calling me to love and affirm and honor my spouse today? Right? This is a prayer that I have to pray every single day. How are you calling me to be kind? How are you calling me to love? How are you calling me to, to, to maybe share a hard truth with them? How are you calling me to love my spouse today? And this is not a, a moment where you, where you look, at, look at your husband and say, hey, baby, put that pen down. Give it to your daddy so he can take notes. No, 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 no. This is for both of you, right? This is for, this is for everybody. How am I called, Lord, to love my wife, to love my husband the way you would have me to do it today? Right? It's not a deep prayer. It's a simple prayer that could lead to healthy and robust marriages, Christian marriages, by asking God that question. Even when I don't want to love that joker, even when I dislike that joker, Lord, you called me into this covenant, and I love you. (laughs) I love you, Lord. And, and all I want to do, Lord, is give you praise and give you honor. And me giving you praise and honor is loving this joker. Even when I don't feel like it. Because, God, I know that you do that with me, my God. You do that with me every single day. When I dishonor you, when I, don't, when, when, when I disrespect you, God, man, your presence is so near. Your blessings are still for me. Your promises are still for me. God, you love me that deep. And because I have your spirit within me, I can love my husband and wife that way too. My God, that's good. I can love them that way too. Because by the power of your spirit, I can love them the way you love me. I can love them the way you love them. And Lord, help me demonstrate that. Help me show that. Right? Marital faithfulness, church, it dramatizes the gospel. It it, it allows us to embody the love of Christ who pledges himself in utter fidelity to his church, to his bride. And when we practice sexual faithfulness and otherwise, and anything else, right, when we practice this, holiness in marriage, we are showing the world what it looks like to be loved by 
God. What's wrong in the world would it look like to have someone sacrificially love you? And this is the way God loves us. And, and, and <laughs> let me tell you something. If somebody come to you and be like, y'all marriage is so, is so good. Let me tell you something. You think this is good? Baby, get some of that God. Get some of that, get, get some of that love from God. It's better than this. It'll lead you to, to freedom. It'll lead you to, to, to ultimate fulfillment, the love of God. We're just an example, but he's really it. One, one more scripture and we out of here, man. You might go to Psalms 37, 4. I want to talk just real quickly about how to ensure that we never have lingering eyes. This is what he says. Psalm 37, 37 verse 4, he says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. <laughs> Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. There are some translations that say that he will give you the desires of his heart. Depending on how you translate that, translate that, that you're there, right? He will give you the desires of his heart. This is very important, right? Because when we confess and when we, when we repent of, of how we may have lusted, of how we may have sinned, God says, I'm going to honor that by reordering your desires. Right now, your desires are disordered, but when you delight yourself in my word, when you delight yourself in my law, I will reorder your desires. See, this, 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 this speaks to why worship and devotion to God is so important consistently, right? It speaks to why we got to talk to God, y'all, every day. Prayer, devotionals, Bible, worship songs. The truth of God has to saturate our lives every single day. And when we saturate our lives with God's word, with God's truth, he reorders our desires. Which is something that we all should want because none of us want disordered lives. None of us want our disordered desires to lead to a life that's chaotic, a life that's dysfunctional. So we have to delight ourselves in the Lord. And say, Lord, how are you calling me just to engage with you today? Through prayer, through worship, through the word. I need to hear your truth today, every single day, so that I can delight myself in who you are. And as I delight myself in who you are, I become more like you. And when I become more like you, my desires are rightly ordered. My eyes are focused on my spouse and nobody else. My eyes are focused on not just the physical appearance of somebody, but they're who they are holistically, right? My eyes ain't lingering. It's not gazing. It's not objectifying. It's honoring, right? It's restoring dignity. That's what we're called to do. So this seventh commandment is very important, right? Oh, I was sweating today. <laughs> Seventh commandment is very, very important. Do not commit adultery. And my prayer and hope, church, as, we, as, as the worship band comes back up, my prayer and hope is that we recognize that it's not that straightforward. Because if it was that straightforward, God wouldn't have put it into law, right? 
There are, there are things that we all have to do to safeguard ourselves from creating the conditions in our heart to want to linger, for our eyes to wander. So we got to do the work. We got to do the work in our marriages. We got to do the work in our, in, in, in our singleness as we're talking to people and interacting with people. We got to do the work so that we are living out the just law and the just word of God, honoring the humanity, honoring the dignity of all who were created in his image. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. We thank you, we thank you Lord, for showing us the way to be your people. God, ultimately, you call us to holiness. And that holiness is inclusive of everything in our lives. And God, I pray that we can dwell on this week. How are you calling us to be holy in our marriages? How are you calling us to be holy in how we pursue one another if we're single? How are you calling us to be holy in our sexual relationships, in our sexual lives? God, you call us to be a distinct people that is set apart from the dark ways of this world. And God, I pray that we're not tempted by the world. I pray that we're not compelled by the world to do anything that is the opposite of how you intended. It's compelling, Lord. It's tempting, Lord. But God, I just pray that your spirit can ring so clear in our ears that your way is better. Your way is just. Your way is freedom. Help us, Lord. We desperately need you. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen.